This week's Sonic Talk, we take a look at the post-Messa debrief. Lots of stuff there. First of all, we've got propel heads, rack extensions, the Studio Logic sledge synthesizer, and of course, Zynaptic Unreverberator, which is called Unveil. Takes the reverb off of signals. How is that possible, I ask? Sonic Talk is brought to you by Yamaha. Please do check out the Yamaha 01V96i compact digital console stuffed with features. Go to a Yamaha dealer near you and check it out. Thanks to Yamaha for the sponsorship of this podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk number 260. This is live. This is our post-Messa debrief. Um, we sort of have it. It's a, it's a regular thing. Well, every year anyway. So uh, this year, uh, obviously, we came back from Mesa on Friday, back late Friday night, and uh, had three days over there, which was jolly good fun. Uh, actually got quite a lot of video stuff. Hope you managed to catch something. You'll also be noticing I'm perhaps... Uh, I've got a Jupiter 80 in the background here because that was because there was a version 2 software uh, release uh, and there was a Jupiter 50 and stuff, so hopefully we'll have a bit more of a look at those. But anyway, um, I want to welcome all my uh, lovely guests. We'll start over there with Rich Hilton because uh, he's there live in Skype land with uh, what looks like a guitar around his neck. How are you, Rich? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy. I got a new guitar this week, and it's my new toy, and I'm having so much fun with it. That's great. A um, new guitar. It's funny. We've had uh, this Yamaha THR in the studio for a little while, and that is a similar kind of thing. It's really, it's very, very, very playable and really quite quiet at the same time, but you can get so many tones out of it. And it just, I've got an old Burns uh, 1960s guitar, which just sounds awesome through it. And I, I mean, my fingers are starting to get a bit blistery where I just keep picking up every once in a while and playing, but uh, I can't play as well as you by the sound of it. So um, yeah. I, I won't be doing that on camera, that's for sure. So well, Rich, um, how the devil are you? you? You're back and you got your amp. And uh, did you enjoy any of the mess of coverage? I enjoyed probably almost all of it. <laughs> I've been watching it uh, diligently. Super. There yeah, was really there, there was there was quite a lot there. It was uh, on on the surface it didn't seem like there was very much new stuff, but in fact we managed to eke out quite a lot of useful things. So I think actually on reflection that's not the case at all. But anyway, thanks for watching. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, let's see we we'll go to PJ. PJ Tracy uh, is over there in uh, Minneapolis. Um He's uh, been ousted from his studio uh, and is joining us on the iPad as he's, uh, but he can't get his camera working because we can't do conference calls. So we're once again thwarted uh, uh, PJ's uh, for PJ Visual. But there you are, PJ. PJTracySound.com. How are you, PJ? I'm great. Yeah, I couldn't be better other than not not being able to get this camera to uh, to work in this conference call. But uh yeah, we've been um, taking delivery of some new gear this week, and tomorrow we are uh, we're anticipating today the imminent arrival of a Chandler Zener limiter, uh-huh. um, which I am uh, kind of the culmination of a dream to uh, to have one of those in in my rack. So I'm uh, really, really, really looking forward to it. What's so special? If, forgive my ignorance about a, Zan, a Chandler Zener limiter. Well, the Zener limiter is a note-for-note um, copy with some additions um, to, to make it a little more versatile of the limiter that appeared in the original TGI desks 
that were at um, EMI Studios in the late 60s and early 70s. Right. Um, so the limiter that was used to record Abbey Road, Dark Side of the Moon, um, those those kinds of records, and um, appeared in the mastering desk at Abbey Road throughout the 70s. So it, it has a very specific sound to it. Oh, and okay. uh, Wade, Wade Geck at Chandler, he um, has sort of added a lot of versatility to the Zener because he, he originally released the TG-1, which is the exact copy of that limiter. And then the Zener is, is an updated version of it um, where there's extended attack and release times, uh, a different compression mode, which changes the sidechain uh, curve and uh, adds a filter in the sidechain so that you're able to filter out low frequency response. Ah, well, we look forward to hearing that. Maybe you can run yourself through it at the next podcast and we can uh, we can sign what it sounds like on solo voice. Anyway, thanks very much for, for joining us, PJ. Um, thank you very much. Right, who are we going to go to next? Let's see. Uh, it's a lottery here. We're going to go hello to, uh, let's say, Mark Tinley. How's Mark Tinley there? Mark Tinley over there in, uh, is it Oxfordshire? I always get it wrong. I'm Cambridge, not in Cambridgeshire. <laughs> no, I'm not there either. Oh. I'm in Bedfordshire now. Bedfordshire. No, I knew it was well, somewhere over there. I'm very well, apart from sporting a 40-inch waistline and having a mind full of hitherto hidden and undeclared commitments that my character has been playing out behind my back to sabotage my life. <laughs> wow, that sounds, that sounds a little bit hard to comprehend for, for, um, for me at the moment. <laughs> ah. <laughs> well, I've been on a course in London on Wednesdays, but this week's at Tuesday, so it was on Tuesday, so I'm here instead, which is brilliant, because I like being here. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to have you. Uh, likebeing.com, uh, Mr. Tinley, right there. So um, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll go over to Dave Spears there over on uh, G4 Software. Dave Spears, of course, is uh, Mr. Smug, because he knew all about some, one of our first topics. Uh, Dave Spears there, um, g4software.com. Uh, I believe might have something to do with some th- a certain topic that we maybe we're going to open with. Possibly. Is that correct? Possibly. Right. Well, let me just open the uh, open the the play on that, and then we can um, and we can take it from there, eh? So let's go straight in with our first topic. Hi there, everybody. How you doing? Good. You okay? What is rack extensions? Rack extensions is a technology that allows third parties to create and design, but not only that, but also to distribute and sell devices for the recent rack. We're going to talk about all those points. So maybe you're thinking, what the hell? Come on, propeller plugins have been available for 200 years now. You didn't invent this. And you're absolutely right if you're thinking that. We did not invent that. But we did have a chance to take a step back and look at plug-in technology. And when we did that, we saw a lot of things that we really, really liked. Um, that was uh, Ernest Ernst Nath Boothholst. I think I pronounced it right. I probably haven't, and I'm terribly sorry. Uh, CEO of Propellerheads on the eve of Music Messer. We dashed from the airport to be present at that uh, particular press conference where I piped up and actually asked a question. I put my head above the parapet. I can't remember what it was now. It's all a blur. But we got a couple of interviews there. But the, basically, this is the sort of the the big news from Propellerheads, amongst the other things, uh, certainly the rack extensions. And I know that... Uh, 
Dave uh, was mentioned in one of the, you know, the GeForce logo was there in the kind of forthcoming pr- uh, plugins for the rack extensions thing. So is there anything else you can tell us about that or is that uh, under wraps, Dave? Well, as w- with regards what we're doing. Well, anything really. What, when, how, what's it like? <laughs> Uh, I can tell you kind of how it happened, that, which was amazing. In fact, they're coming here. To, uh, they're sending somebody here tomorrow, which is why I've had a tidy up in the studio to do some filming. <laughs> and, uh, yes, that's going to be pretty interesting. They contacted us a while ago. I'm not sure how much I can say, but what I, I think what I can say is they contacted us a while ago. They came to see us, and they put the idea to us. And I've always been a huge fan of theirs, in fact, there's a weird connection to kind of how I started in the industry, which involved propeller heads and Steinberg and stuff. Back at the time when Steinberg had distributed propeller heads, Rebirth, which was pretty massive. And, yeah, we talked about things and obviously we explained that, you know, resources, you know, we're always being asked, you know, can you can you do something for this platform? Can you do something for that? And as every, as you know, you know, we're it's kind of a minuscule operation so it's always really difficult. Uh, but after talking with them, we came up with a solution. And that's kind of what we've been on for the last, blimey, at least a couple of months. So, yeah, we're hoping that the minute it's released, uh, this, you know, the rack extension update's released, we will have at least one, probably two things on it. Really? I mean, can you say anything about it in terms of, you know, I, I'm guessing instrument we're talking really, just presumably because that's what you make. You don't make effects processors. So yeah, I'm guessing yeah. it must be sort of instrument based. And one of the things that was obviously quite challenging, I mean, they're banding about all sorts of uh, claims, like it only takes two hours to uh, compile the code, which may well be the case. And it's, I'm guessing if you have a rack based uh, GUI, then that's all great. And you can just, uh, you know, you you don't have to completely redesign the GUI. Whereas I imagine for you, that's probably quite a lot, a lot of work. It's the biggest challenge, I think. Well, uh, yeah, Chris is actually working on that today and sent me through a couple of uh, uh, initial ideas that he's done. Um, we had a kind of mock-up. Actually, what we are going to release is working within the Reason Rack already. It's literally the kind of graphic interface that requires... A huge amount of thought to kind of make it, you know, we really want to make it sit within the reason rack without kind of standing out too much and being too much in your face. It's all got, it's got to be right. So essentially, it's like um, it's like Roland releasing a rack mount version of um, the <laughs> of their keyboards. Effectively, you've got to re- release a rack mount version of uh, of your soft synth in a sort of as a paradigm. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And I mean that, you know. The way they've, I think the way they've done it is brilliant because, you know, we're at this kind of juncture where supporting yet another platform. I mean, we had this whole discussion sure. over AAX and all that kind of stuff. All of these things kind of add up to resources. And rather than keep releasing, you know, new instruments and new formats and stuff, the one thing you really do have to do as a small company and probably as a large company as well is marry your support with yeah. the amount of instruments you've got out there. Whereas the way they've kind of geared everything up, it's actually a really elegant solution for us. So I was really honoured, actually. And it's really funny because some people always put us in this category of, oh, your rivals of this company and that company. And, you know, we never started with any funding. We started with a debt. And when that 
uh, I saw a still where Ernst was, uh, you know, announcing who was involved initially. And when that logo came up with, you know, people like Urs and the Sugar Bites guy and the guy who makes you tonic, it just felt really comfortable to me. A lot more comfortable than, you know, normally in the past when people go, oh, your rival's this company or that company. I just felt like we kind of fitted quite nicely. Mm. Well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, the whole thing is kind of based on a sort of uh, app store paradigm, isn't it? It's encouraging developers to kind of basically they can put it in the system and the system takes care of all the downloads and the, the, the accounting and all that kind of stuff. So it's actually quite elegant for smaller companies who, who can't, you know, don't have to then spend ages and ages getting a storefront and back end and all of that kind of thing. It's all sort of tied in. So I'm guessing that's a pretty good um, just plus from, from, from the get go, right? Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of elements about this that really, you know, we were kind of like, actually felt really honoured to have been asked as one of the initial people. And also, as like, actually, we really, really want to do this. And when do you think you're... Uh, well, no, this is a terrible question to ask Dave Spears, isn't it? When's it going to be ready? <laughs> well, I'm hoping this will kind of change the, uh, change the previous kind of uh, baggage that we have. Um, this will... Act- I mean, like I said, what's being released initially, I've seen working and I've heard it working and it sounds pretty awesome. The main thing now is graphics. And I do know that Urs said something like five hours to port an effect. But an instrument is a very different kettle of fish. Yeah. And I can see that taking, I could see it actually to and fro in for probably the next sort of three, four weeks. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing there's all sorts of solutions. You can tab things and I suppose there's all sorts of stuff you can do because you've got, got a lot of controls to get into what is effectively a 19 inch paradigm, haven't you, really? Yeah. But we can finally do that tab button and flip it round and see things like CD <laughs> game. Yeah, I mean, I loved that when that came out on Reason, first of all. And we were like, when they came over, it was like, so when we press the tab button, do we get to see Now that tell me, Dave, do, are you allowed to design the colour of your own patch cords? I don't know, actually. I, I think you should have a custom colour for the G4 stuff. Yeah, kind of based on Japanese art, I'd like. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> so, uh, now, who's excited about this? I mean, I know not all of us are uh, Avid Reason users, but, um, you know, it's about time we got sort of plug-in support. I mean, do, do you think this is a sl- uh, maybe a, a, a kind of slippery slope? Once you start bringing third parties in, does it going to affect, you know, stability and things? And Matt, Mark, do you use Reason at all? Is this something that would make you, if not, make you want to do it more so? Um... No, I don't really use Reason, so um, I don't know what to say about this topic, actually. <laughs> and would it make me want to use it more? So um, I think keeping up with all the things that I do use is hard enough, so I'm not sure that I... Unless somebody specifically came to me and said, I want to work in Reason, and I was working with a client in Reason, I'm not... Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think perhaps it's more exciting perhaps to uh, uh, users that originally, I mean, now in the chat room, uh, Rob uh, Peracelli, uh, failed muso, is a big re- reason sort of evangelist, and he's very, very bloody excited, he says. In fact, I think I've got it to... Yeah, and he's going to be helping us, so just that's there. cool. So uh, what about you, cool. Rich? I mean, is it, do we need another plug-in format? Do you think it's about time, or is this the, the only solution that really they could go for? Or what do you think? Well, I mean, from the standpoint of propeller heads... They're supporting a, a self-contained product base, and the fact that they have invited such um, esteemed producers of excellent music software products to go along with this is a great thing for both them and for 
those developers, including Dave. And I really, I think this is a wonderful thing because everybody knows that everything doesn't last forever, and this might turn out to be the uh, the last man standing in the big time DAW world. Who knows? It, 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 but what, if you're asking me what'll make me buy somebody's DAW, is show me a DAW that has built-in functionality that does uh, session translation from Pro Tools straight away. It'll open your Pro Tools session into our DAW, put all your regions exactly where they go, put our plugins where their plugins went, and here, listen to this and see if you like it. That's the, that's the business that I might do. In yeah. other words, that's the business I'd look at. Is if, Can I open my existing work base in some way into the, you know whatever it is PreSonus's new thing or or uh, Reason and Record Reason and Record is a fantastic product. It's just I'm starting over, and if I'm doing that, I at least want to be able to uh, open my existing workbase. So, just on a very personal, selfish basis, I, I don't think that's an unreasonable request to be honest, no. because that. But that's the sort of differentiator, isn't it? It's almost like it's like the kind of yeah, you know, the the, the VHS versus Betamax argument, isn't it? It's kind of almost like that kind of built-in uh, obsolescence, you know, that makes you have to use that particular. If it was that easy, then I wonder what it would do oh, to the no. actual. No, it's a lot of freaking work. I yeah, expect I'm sure. there is a program SSL distributes that purports to do this, to take session format A from whatever your DAW of choice is and spit out session format B with your, you know, regions or whatever uh, parts or whatever they're calling them this week, you know, placed all in the right spaces and uh, things all playing coherently and on the same timeline in your new piece of software. Yes. Uh, so really? if, so <laughs> like if somebody built that, that in – pardon me, Mark? I said I'd like to see that work. Well, so would I, and that's the point. So if, for example, Propellerheads wants to see me switching from my existing DAW base, build that in. Right. I suspect that's probably not going to happen, not be on the top of the list of priorities. It's a, just, it's a, <laughs> I would think not, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. I think that's a fair point. Uh, PJ, I mean, um, how, how do you feel about this? Is this going to be exciting or is it, you know, an, it's sort of another plug-in format, I guess, but it makes it easier for developers. So I'm guessing what tends to happen with this sort of scenario is developers that have an easier path to to publish might be tempted to kind of jump in at, at different levels and create funky stuff that you just can't find anywhere else. Kind of like the VST route, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. Um, first of all and foremost, I'm really excited for, um, for Dave. I, th- I think this is great. And I'm excited for the reason users that are not on another platform and will now have access to software such as Dave's, because I, I really believe that Dave and Chris have, um, tremendous amount to offer that environment Uh, as good as reason is um as good as the synthesizers in reason is i can say hands down i prefer their software you know the sound of their software to anything that's native inside of reason and i like reason a lot and i and i do use it but the way that i tend to use reason generally speaking is as a glorified drum machine right so I'm, i'm using it to build occasionally um and less so now than I did at one point to build grooves and things like that. And I'm either rewiring or exporting from reason and bringing it back into Cubase or some other program, Ableton live or something to do, uh, to do post-production on it and incorporate it into a wider arrangement. This might change that. I, I think it, it sort of depends on what, you know, what happens. I think the reason environment is very unique and idiosyncratic and there's a lot that could be done 
inside of that environment that, like you say, probably can't be done elsewhere. So it'll be really interesting to see what developers bring to the table and how they implement it into the existing workflow inside of Reason. Mm. And if that gets really, really interesting, then yeah, I'll definitely experiment with it and maybe, you know, maybe occasionally use it or use it more often from the ground up for, um, you know, for building building arrangements and then see how how that goes and how I can implement that into my into my existing workflow. And it, it, for me, it, it always depends on what it is I'm doing. If I'm working on something personal, then I and I have the time. I'm a lot more tolerant of um, of not having to do things like Rich was talking about. You know, where where you you have a direct translation between DAWs or something. Uh, I'll work around that if I think if I think an environment's interesting enough to work to work inside of. But if I'm working, you know, on something for a client and and speed is of the essence, then no, I tend I tend to stay with what's easy and what what I can do and achieve quickly. And for me, there's a couple of other considerations. You know, one one being uh, my visual impairment, so I, I get pretty comfortable inside certain environments, and um, I I try always to exercise my muscle and spread out, you know, and and, and uh, expand my the knowledge of the tools that I, that I could use, you know, potentially use, right. but in a, in a crunch, I use what I, what I know and what I can do, what I can use fast, you know? So that's as, as I assume everybody does. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, and that's a fair point. I mean, uh, very, very well made actually. Uh, those things Just are fairly important. Yeah. Sorry. One very quick thing. Um, I mean, from our perspective, it was quite interesting because I don't think that we've, sold to any any kind of reason user i don't think any of our instruments you know we've never really kind of aimed at that market and some of the some of the attraction for us was obviously bringing what we do to what i see as a kind of entirely new audience however that kind of changed with uh you know doing this um judging of uh, failed musos competition what really fascinated me about because i kind of grew up on the whole rebirth thing and what was really fascinating about judging that competition was the fact that there are so many songwriters out there using reason, right? which was really fascinating. You know, I think sometimes it's seen as like Tip PJ was saying, a kind of glorified drum machine or a kind of loop vibey thing. But yeah, really fascinating. Mm. Actually, one thing uh, John Van Eaton says in the chat room uh, that uh, Pro Tools has just got to the to, to the point where you can use it on an airplane without an interface, but Reason has been there for well over a decade, and that actually is a very valid point in terms of you know the portable music market. So that it, I think you're right there. It's, it's sort of a different, or certainly a different set of purposes and requirements, you know, for that particular application. I mean, I don't think I think people who use Reason probably do use other stuff as well, just because I mean that's the nature of things. But that's an interesting point. Uh, but we shall see. I mean, I think they're talking about it being released in 6.5 in uh, early summer, so I'm guessing April, May. So <coughs> we'll look forward to seeing what that is like actually in situ and whether it kind of changes anything. And whether, you know, the, the developer um, experience encourages more people to come on board because as soon as some other people go, hey, it was great, you know, we sold a bunch, it's easy, you know, we, we got paid on time, those sort of things are going are gonna, to uh, encourage other people to join in. Anyway, I, I think uh, at this point we should probably do our ad because it's uh, it's March, time has marched on a little bit. So I'm going to say thank you very much to Yamaha, our show sponsor. If I press the button, maybe it'll work. Hmm. 
Doesn't say, oh, there we are. And they are basically, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about the O1V96i. This is a compact digital mixing console uh, from Yamaha. It's probably the smallest format one that they do in terms of 19-inch rack, but it's packed with features. It's got 16-in, 16-out USB 2 audio streaming, so that is pretty impressive just on its own. Uh, refined studio quality head amps, these are the same that you find in the uh, the Steinberg interfaces that uh, we've heard good things about uh, in the past. A full suite of VCM effects, master strip, channel strip, uh, Vintage Stomp Effects, RevX Reverb, 40 mixing channels, 8 16 analog and 8 digital inputs, 8 channel ADAT IO as standard, not using one of the extra YG Day port, which you also have to expand if you want. 8 auxiliary and 8 mixing buses, 100mm motorized faders, 4 effects simultaneously. Uh, you get Steinberg, Steinberg Cubase AI included advanced door support in terms of uh, you can use it as a control surface for that studio manager version 2 and a cascade link you can get a couple of them together so impressive stuff there if you're watching the video version um, you can see that we've got a bit.ly url which is bit.ly slash 01v96i that's bit.ly slash 01v96i and we want to say thank you very much to Yamaha for their continued sponsor of the show go check one out at a local dealer uh, as store near you right uh, this next one um this is this this actually was i'm sure there's other stuff that was that was really interesting we'll hopefully get onto that but this was the one that made me kind of go "Ooh, this is really nice i'm just going to play it so tell me what what do we have here Okay, this is called the Sledge Synthesizer. It's a brand new instrument from Studio Logic, and uh, has, is born from a cooperation between Studio Logic and Waldorf. You know? The engine, uh, the sound synthesis engine, is a Waldorf engine, and uh, all the rest, the cabinet, the keyboard, the panel, and the main function are being designed by the Studio Logic lab. Right, I'll stop there. Um, this was the Studio Logic uh, Waldorf collaboration, Sledge. I'd heard a bit about this, and I, for some reason it had completely passed me by. And I just walked past, and I, I, my, I turned my head, turned literally, it was a double take. It's like, wow, what is that? And it was literally uh, this big, sort of, you know, almost uh, warning orange stroke yellow school, it's like a US school bus colour. Um, and it's just the Blofeld engine, and essentially it's like a MIDI controller. It, for that particular instrument and I have to say I, t I went back and I played with it on my own for a bit and I just kind of tried to get some sounds out and I've just thought it was fantastic massive control panel lots of space between the knobs you know three oscillators lots of functionality there which is common to the engine but the fact that this thing's going to be under I think he was talking about 900 euros I mean it's not fantastically well built it but it's just great fun to use and in some ways Dave it really kind of almost reiterates uh, the fact that, you know, that the hardware control for a dedicated soft instrument is just the way forward. It's just completely changed, um, you know, I'm, I'm sold. I want one already, and, I you know, I want to get it in for review as soon as possible. I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, have you heard anything about this? I don't know whether the... Um whether the Blofeld... I haven't tried a Blofeld in its own, but that's a menu-driven thing. This just seems kind of brilliant. I'm really glad you showed me this. I, unfortunately, I've been so busy, I didn't get a chance to check out 
any of the mess of videos apart from the Preparedheads one. <laughs> so I'm really pleased that this came through because I worked with that guy a, a long time ago Gianni. in Italy. Yeah, Gianni Giudice, who is a phenomenal musician and really, really musical. One thing I loved about that Italian company that I worked with on a consultancy basis I was on, uh, they were all really, really passionate about audio and music. And there was kind of, you know, one side of the factory were real eggheads and the other side of the factory were just totally uh, interested in sort of music and everything to do so i was kind of really really pleased that uh this showed up and he was doing it and i'd never heard of it before but i reckon if he's anything to do with it it's gonna be pretty damn slick well i do hope so i mean it did actually really just come across like a MIDI controller bolted onto a chip which has the Waldorf engine on it. I mean, essentially, that's kind of what it is. I mean, I noticed that uh, when you turn the knobs, you know, you have to pick it up through... through. I mean, maybe that's a revision software revision thing. But I sort of didn't care. I mean, the fact See, that I it was just all that. I really prefer that. I've got this Andromeda here, and one of the knobs... You know, this is all continuous controllers, and one of the knobs is... In fact, it's the tuning knob, is constantly transmitting data... So no matter what I go to, this will always jump back and throw it out of tune. So that solution for me, same with the Imp2 controller, is much more elegant. And, you know, if people, some people prefer the whole rotary controller things, but when things go wrong, it's a nightmare. <laughs> um, I don't know, Mark Tinley. I can see one of these just going really nicely in, uh, in, your, in your house, on your kitchen table, making beautiful sounds together. They look brilliant. I love the look of it, and it sounded pretty good as well. It just—I mean, I—I I don't know why. I like—I like my synths to look interesting, um, and anything brightly coloured with loads and loads of controls on it just kind of floats my boat. So, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, it the, gets the, my boat definitely. This thing could definitely have been an octave shorter and have a smaller front panel quite easily because there's just so much space between all the controls. It reminded me a little bit of Mini Moog kind of layout. I mean, three oscillators with the mixer in the bit, you know, and the switching and what have you. But just, it was so easy to program and to, it was very quick to get you where you wanted to go. And to my sort of adult show brain even though i've probably heard the blow felt before it seemed better because i was able to make the physical connection between it and the engine much more easily and i really just like that and there's also a button on it which just says panel and you go out of program mode and you just do whatever you want on the front panel which i like a lot i was thinking about something last night on on the in the on the train on the way back from london and <clears throat> i've got a friend who's um completely blind so he can't really see anything at all i mean he can notice when it's light or dark and that's about it and i was thinking about iphones and i know that he uses an ipod touch and i was thinking there's something in and and we get used to these form factor things very quickly because we're sighted but there's something in the form factor of a unit and when you've played around with something for a little while you kind of get to know where everything is and then it becomes a very intuitive process and i think you know, the, the computers definitely take us away from that intuitive process. Having to go one by one with the mouse on the screen just takes something away from that visceral kind of sensual kind of effect of being able to grab a whole load of controls and know how they're going to change stuff. And it's sort of, you know, and really I was, the, the blind part of that was when they upgrade the iPhone from the 3 to the 4 and then the 5, I guess the form factor is going to change and he won't be able to feel his way around it. But, you know, 
I mean, we we learn things quite quickly because we can see them. But I still think that there's something about uh, you know kinesthetic and sensory things that's really important in the making of music. And even though it's sound, it's still really important to have that sensual contact with things. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I'm guessing PJ, this is probably something that you would probably agree with. Um, being you know, uh, uh, your that your sight is not. Uh, you're not fully sighted. I mean, do you, would this be something that would be kind of uh, right up your street? I mean, I guess you'd have to make space for it in your studio, but uh, I would thoroughly recommend that you did because it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> we'll kind of work into this backwards. But yeah, um, along with Mark, uh, what he said initially, um, I really love the look of it, and I think it would look really cool next to my Nord, my Nord ah, piano, yes. which is bright red. <laughs> yeah. And the other the other synthesizers that I have in the studio, but um, I agree entirely with what Mark's saying, and I know we've touched on this before, but that uh, first and foremost, ergonomics, and secondly, the haptic experience, which is you know the the, the sense of touch, um, is really really important to me, and I'm I'm beginning to realize how, how much so lately since we've um, been putting together a studio with a lot of analog outboard gear. And I haven't worked in that environment in a really long time, you know, personally. Um, I've gone into other studios to do projects. Generally, there's another engineer working, and I'm either producing or or a part of something, something larger. But sitting down in front of a lot of outboard gear and twiddling knobs and affecting audio in real time doing that there's just something that makes my heart sing you know while while engaging in that experience the same is true of synthesizers it's just so much more gratifying when you can grab a knob and twist that knob and hear a filter sweep in real time or you know it's it's just so much more immediate and i agree with mark um from a purely logistical standpoint it's easier for me if um, if there's physical controllers, uh, mousing around a screen is is certainly not as easy. Um, although I become used to it and rely on it daily. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree with. I well, agree the with all the other things. thing that's interesting about this, I think, is that uh, perhaps it's going to be it's going to be a, I want to know whether it actually outputs MIDI control so that I mean essentially you've got all the controls you're probably going to want to need for a large synthesizer that you can map to anything you want and you kind of there it is you've got a MIDI controller that will do that job I mean admittedly it's not going to be of the quality of the uh, um, the Imposco controller but you know it's still and it's got a synth I don't know Rich you were um, you were uh, tempted to take the devil's advocate position in the uh, in the chat room now I'm just wondering if whether you've decided I'm to or joking. not <laughs> I'm j- no, 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 I'm joking, I'm joking, completely joking, it's just that everybody has now waxed so eloquently on the on the joys of twiddling knobs, <laughs> Dave once, Dave made an absolute elegy to the thing as a promotional video for the Imp2 controller, and Mark practically paraphrased him word for word a little while ago, and now PJ's weighed in, so yeah, I love knobs, um, but getting back to this yellow thing uh, that Fatar is making with Waldorf, uh, it sounded okay to me, but somehow not great. And the th- all I was thinking while I was listening to it is, I told them to put the sound in the controller, the Imp2 controller. Because to me, I'd rather have the Imp2 sound and the Imp2 controller with or without a keyboard attached than that thing any day of the week. And uh, 
And it's and I had this when I started talking about it. I had this vision that these kinds of physical controllers make all the sense in the world to run really good software or digitally based synth engines like like this Waldorf yeah. thing or like Dave's software, the Imp2. But they need to make their own sound too, so people can just drag the thing to a gig and play it. It has to be, uh, yeah. Well, it was sort of. You'll getting... recall that, Dave. I made that. I you may re- you may have been part yeah, of the yeah, conversation, yeah. but I was pretty. Uh, just just as vigorous then as I am now about it. I really do think that's the future. When you've got a really great software instrument, if you can stick it in a box like that thing back there and have it spit out that sound all by itself without having to have this thing in front of me, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. I would even if you- it's a card option, even if it's an upgrade option where you put it on a $500 card and you stick it into a slot somewhere. Yeah, would it run it on just- Raspberry Pi? That'd be an interesting concept. I'm wondering if it would. I'm, well, that's, isn't that what Urs Heckman's doing? We, we went to see a uh, uh, Yuhi stand and he's got like a Diva. He's working on a, a controller yeah. with it built in. But I mean, I'm guessing the problem is with that principle is to get the scale of economy to put the thing inside you're having to kind of build these little tiny computers that are optimized for real-time audio processing audio um work which are kind of by their very nature rather high-end so that makes one hell of an expensive component i suppose it's like the arturia origin you know that that the other problem though is it has to support everything because you really can't make any money supporting one guy's thing well yeah but then you get back to the problem of yeah, but mine's an FM synthesizer. This this subtractive uh, control- no 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 it would have to form. It have to follow a certain form factor that was appropriate. Either that, or it would have to update the labeling on every single knob on the front panel for everything it was recalling, which is like what Lucasfilm's Edit Droid did in the late eighties. Yeah, wow. Nobody's going to do that. That's expensive. And Novation tried, and it kind of sucks. If I do say so myself, you um, do say so yourself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But, so, uh, you know, because I tried to buy into that. They, yeah, I thought, well, look at that. Somebody's finally done it. And then I watched them do it. And it was like, that's eh, not really right. Well, it's interesting, actually, that you say that. Because I did also see the Copperland guys. And they did uh, rather interesting. They had like a kind of just a simple controller. I, I, I was going to dig the video out. And they modified just this basic controller. They put a screen on it and a Copperland input. And it just, any plugin that just, you know, could say, Here's a control, you know, I connect to this instance of this synthesizer on that laptop over there or running on wherever it may be and send me eight knobs to play with. That means these knobs are all going to be mapped to those and it's just, they're all labeled and it just seemed really, really obvious, which is kind of like Automap, but actually one step removed. The plugin, all the plugin has to do is answer a question, you know, what have you got for me? And here they come, you know, and that seemed very straightforward, really. And uh, but again, the, the the problem with the Copperland guys is like we're making all these fantastic ideas, but they're not actually they're phyllis, they're, they're sort of they have to be agnostic because they're trying to sell the technology, not the devices. If they start making devices, then they go into competition with the people that they're trying to sell the Copperland to. So it's a really difficult situation for them. But um, uh, I've, let's stick with MIDI. It's worked for thirty years. I mean, come on. Well, it's the, it is essentially it is essentially MIDI, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, we're, I feel we're getting closer to this. And but the, I, I suppose the thing about the sledge is it just makes all of us realise that that's ultimately what we really want. You know, we've been around the houses, we've had everything. You know, I mean, the, the, but the thing about having this stuff on a computer is great because we can have a computer can be many many things. A synthesizer that is essentially a sledge or a Waldorf Blofeld or whatever is that that's what it is. You know, so there it's not going to be anything else. So the cost per per unit is getting pricey. But yeah, I, I've just got really excited about it and I can't wait to get hold of it because I really 
I, I can't wait to wax more lyrically about the uh, the control surface and the way that that works. And I just, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know when exactly it's going to be available. It did seem like there was perhaps a still still a bit of work to go on some of those. Like it wasn't loading all the wavetable, um, what have you. But great idea. So I have a question. Yeah. Does Does anybody know how well the Arteria Origin sells? Because this, you know, this was sort of one of the first of those types of products, wasn't it? Where they, they took existing engines that they had and put them in a hardware box that had dedicated control. But it's expensive. It's not a you know, it's not a cheap synthesizer. It's three grand or something in the US yeah. in one of those. Yeah. You so, gotta like those engines are real lot to wanna spend that much money on that controller. Now now I'm not saying Rich, you know, whether or not it's a it's a good synthesizer. Or it's you know it's it's something that you or I would buy, but it's it's that idea incarnate. So, you know, for those that like the Arteria software, are they selling are they selling those things off the shelves? I mean, is is that paradigm I, I don't think working? That, no, I don't think well, by the very nature, it's a very expensive synthesizer, so it's not yeah. going to be selling a lot. But the thing is about the way this sledge is, it's like a third of the price. And it's sure. got and it's got all this other stuff built. I mean, it's it's about the interface. That's what I was saying. I mean, to my opinion, it sort of it sounded okay, but I think it sounded better because I was able to control it so easily. Do you see what I mean? So I, it was more of an instrument because I was able to interact with it in real time much more effectively and get. I think right, I want to sound like this and make the sound. Whereas to do it via a menu and submenu driven system is is not at all the same process, at all, to my mind. But anyway. Uh, as we know, it's a perennial discussion about how we the, the perfect controller and the perfect interface. But it, it feels like we're getting closer. And, and in effect, the sledge is really just a kind of uh, it, an iteration of that argument and a sort of demonstration of the fact that that is it, that is indeed the case. We want to get back to an instrument that you can actually get hands on, or at least there there is a market for it. Maybe it's just us getting excited about it. Maybe I'm so other- pleased we're having this discussion. I bought. I bought my wife, not me, of course. I bought my wife for her Volcano? iPad. No, an IMS20. And controlling that on the iPad, for me, is just like, you know, it really is kind of like wallpapering through a letterbox. It's better than actually menu-driven things, but it's still, you know, this idea of touching things with your fingertips as opposed to grabbing things and twisting them is very strange for me. Yeah. It's not quite there yet, is it? I mean, that's the thing. But uh, hopefully, this is going to be a step closer. Maybe Studio Logic are going to come out with a whole bunch of things. Maybe they will have. Maybe you know. Maybe the hardware they've put inside has some sort of potential to, uh, <laughs> you know, to be other instruments as well. I don't know. We'll have to see. But I just wanted to put that in because I really enjoyed it. And um, uh, there was another. What, what do we want to look at next? Because I, I think we've probably got to do the de-reverberator because that is fairly major. Do you not think? And I know yeah. that I know that Mark okay. and PJ were both excited about this. We can look at maybe some of the studio. What are we talking about? Five. To, we could do. Uh, or do you want it, Rich? Does the five hundred modules um, have an interest to you? It's all interesting to me. So go go with your gut. Oh, I don't know. Come on, I need to, I need some input. I can't make any decisions. I'm I still... got very excited by the ribbon synth, but I'm sure that that would be a huge sideways kind of. I, don't, uh, I haven't got herring. that prepared. I'm afraid. Yeah, that that one that looked a bit like a large bass cannon. Yes, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, or a great British spring reverb. Yeah. Well, let, all right. I tell you what. Let's let's just um, let's do the synaptic thing, just purely because. Uh, and then, if we've got some extra time, we could do one of the other topics. So I'll just fire that in. Now. Hi, 
I'm Dennis, I'm the CEO of Synaptic. Uh, we're a freshly baked audio software company and we do stuff based on artificial intelligence technology and perceptive modeling and other high-tech strategies. Um, we just launched a new product here at the Musique Messe, it's called Unveil, which is a real-time um, de-reverberation and signal focusing processor, which allows you to um, attenuate uh, or boost reverb and other background components in a mixed signal um, on signals going from mono to 7.1. Right, I'm going to fast forward here. Right, so here's cool the, the signal. Libraries. As you can hear, lots of reverb as it's a film mix, and now we'll take that reverb off there. I'll stop there because it's quite a long demonstration, but I mean, we were joking about this and I've been in contact with uh, um, the chap there uh, who is actually going to film me a demonstration and a screen capture and, and a voiceover and stuff to show me a bit. In, so we got some high fidelity examples of this. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to post that when I go back from holiday, which is next week. Um, but I, the first thing I said was you have no idea that because we were looking, uh, in fact, PJ did actually ask for a deconvolution, a convolution de-reverberator. And PJ, it looks like that you have it there. So uh, I, this must be a very happy day for you. It's, surely you're going to buy this. It's like two, 269 bucks um, special offer going up to 399 But it looks like, I mean, it'd be really useful for us. Just take like, you know, rooms off interviews, all that kind of thing. It's probably better for dialogue and those things than perhaps for full stereo mixes like that. But a dramatic example, no? Yeah, yeah. It, that's a really cool device. Um, <clears throat> you know, previous to, to this uh, software I've been using, um, for doing this kind of thing when I, when I've needed to, uh, SPLs deverb, um, which is, uh, pretty good, uh, you know, for what, for what it can do, but it, it, it can't do that. And, uh, it's, yeah, I find that fascinating, a really, really cool sound design tool. Definitely great for production audio, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I think it, I, it from, from what I could hear, Unfortunately, I, I didn't get a chance to to watch that video. I recommend it. I mean, the thing I is, mean, I, no, know, I got I saw the video, but I didn't get to I didn't get to listen through through good monitor speakers to see you know what was really happening with like the high the high end and all of that and that audio. Did did does it sound? You think it sounds very natural? Well, I couldn't really tell from that example either because it was it was yeah. uh, it was a noisy background. But it sounded like there were some artifacts there. But that was a full mix with kind of you know full orchestral mix. So I, I'd imagine perhaps it, you know that was a sort of dramatic example. He used it. There's a dialogue example later on where uh, it worked just as well. And the idea, you know, if we if you film somebody maybe talking in an echoey corridor, just as a you know for us from a video production point of view, it could fix an awful lot of things potentially. Uh, and he he says you know it's great for uh, for that it's great for and you can also you can enhance the reverb as well so you can bring the wet mix up if you like or just take the dry out completely i mean it's quite i have no idea how they do it. i mean it must be some sort of fairly clever dsp stuff going on under the hood but it just looks like such a useful you know in the same way that the isotope rx things were are just you know you've got to have that in the same way that melodyne you've got to have that for certain things this looks like one of those you must have this yeah kind of yeah it was making me that 
that that's what made me think about it is I, I watched that video this morning and last night actually until the wee hours of the night I was taking production audio and running it through Isotope IRX and cleaning noise out of it and that kind of thing and just thinking what a what a fantastically magical tool Isotope RX is. It's just it's it's like Photoshop for audio. It's it's unreal what that piece of software can do. And this this would this seems like it's uh uh, Holy shit. What's going on there? A hailstorm. Hailstorm in... Uh, they want to know in the chat room uh, what it's called, and it's called uh, Zanaptic Unveil. There it is. And uh, you can try it for... Uh, you can try it. It's uh, Mac audio units only. It looks like it's Mac only, I'm afraid. So that's a bit uh, of a downer for, for some of our PC friends, but maybe it's coming. Uh, but we'll, I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll be able to talk to the chap uh, who's whose product it is, um, in the next couple of weeks. I'm trying to remember what his name was now because I've got him here. Den- uh, he's called Dennis or Denise, uh, based in Germany. Um, oh, Mark's vanished. I was going to go to Mark next. He's hung up or maybe he's just uh, lost his... Let me let me see if I can go, get him again. Right, let's try and... Uh, oh, come back, Mark. You've... My layout's gone. <laughs> now it's all gone like this. Oh, no. That means all my switching's going to be ruined. Right. Let's see if we can get in touch with Call. Yeah, let's see if we can get him back. Uh, go back to me. Um, but, yeah, mind-blowing stuff. I mean, Rich, you you know, there's got to be situations like this. Where I mean, I wonder what it would look like on a roomy drum kit. You know, you can take it all back. I mean, astonishingly useful, would you not think? I do think. And uh, kind of piggybacking on what PJ was just saying and the overall sort of concept of this, what's incredible to me is the kinds of analysis that have become sort of de rigueur over the last five to seven to eight years. And now they're applying them in real-time processes because these guys have another one they showed that changes pitch of entire pieces of music in real time based on MIDI input. And that is just the kinds of analysis that go into being able to separate things like that either with respect to pitch or in this case with respect to dry and ambient perceivably dry and ambient that's pretty amazing stuff to me and uh yeah very useful and really just gain the whole picture has changed i think pj was alluding to this like in terms of what's possible because of these kinds of analysis and some of those tools that we've discussed previously where in a rectangular world you get color blobs that represent audio in different parts of the stereo spectrum and you can like highlight one and drag it around or take it out or you know make the vocal go away or yeah, yeah. I mean all of this kind of analysis that's come up in the last I don't know 5 to 10 years it's just remarkable to me so I'm having trouble. I'm chasing Mark around the screen because when I call him, I'll show you, I'll demonstrate. When I call Mark, <laughs> what happens here is it goes back to the two shot. But when it doesn't hang up, when it when he doesn't get there, it goes to a three shot, which messes up all my um, uh, all my uh, my shots. So I'll just go back to me for the time. I, I think this is astonishing. This is another par- this is another one of those melodyne moments. I think, Mark, I was going to come to you next because I know that you when I sent this out, you just said. Oh my God, that's amazing. And uh, I'm guessing that you must have something to say on the subject. Well, it's kind of weird because I was driving 
uh, my son to school and I was thinking about convolution reverbs and I was thinking about <laughs> the amount of computing power it takes. Yeah, I know it's weird. But <laughs> it sounds funny. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about the, the amount of computing power it takes to put reverb onto things and I thought surely we've got to the point with technology that we must have the amount of commu- computing power to take stuff off. And I was think uh, the reason I was thinking about convolution reverbs was probably because I was recording some spoken word thing in the car, and I thought everything I record in the car always has this kind of glassy, close ambience. And wouldn't it be nice if I could take it off? So I thought if I had like an impulse response in the car and measured the car's reverb, I could then remove it from the car. And then I thought that would totally negate the need for any kind of um, studio environment or like dead room environment ever wouldn't it because if you uh if you could literally take any reverb yeah anti-room and then and then the next day this came on and i was like oh my god i think rich told me about it didn't you rich and then i said that was a very strange very strange kind of uh uh, what is it called? Coincidence or serendipitous synergy? Moment. Yes. Uh, but having watched the video, I mean that is just. I mean, I know it doesn't necessarily take a specific room off a recording, but the fact that it can just take the reverb off like that. I mean, the uses for that are just are mind-boggling, really, aren't they? Because they are. I mean, he's pretty switched on already. I mean, in the in the video, he does actually uh, suggest that you know you could use it for five point one mixes. You could uh, change the reverb mix based on you know what camera you're switching to. There's all sorts of stuff that you can do with it, and that, that's kind of cool. Um, so, I mean, he's obviously got a nod to that 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 kind of mind. That's where you could see it being really useful. May, may I mention? Oh, I'm sorry. I just I wanted to mention Mark. Uh, just so that you know that that at least in the example that he's using with that with that orchestral library, I, I own that library. It's Project Sam Symphobia, okay. and the re- the recording itself is done in a hall, so it's not an artificial reverb that's placed over top no, of the recording so that's taking, being removed. Uh, yeah, because yeah. there's another thing that happened as well. So when I was on the train on the way back from London last night, I'd record, I had a friend over on Saturday who does sound massages, and he put all these singing bowls on me and hit them. And then I sat in this kind of big, you know, gongs and all that kind of stuff, man. And uh, um, I put my binaural uh, microphones in, and I recorded the whole thing. So I was checking that recording. So I was sitting on the train in King's Cross Station waiting for the train to go out. I had about 30 minutes, and it was quite quiet. But what I noticed is that the real sounds around me, so the sounds of people moving and the sounds of uh, stuff squeaking in the background and uh, trains creaking and everything, all sounded horribly unnatural. And that's because my brain had acclimatized itself to the natural reverb of the room I recorded the singing bowls in. So what I suddenly realized from that is that when you start trying to put different reverbs into the same space, it all starts to sound horribly wrong. Right. So if you've got some natural reverb on a recording and you're trying to mix that with something else, or if you've even got an old recording and you need to get the reverb off that and you want to add new instruments to it, there's always a slight kind of you know, offness about things, like they don't quite belong in the same space. And this could be a key to being, if you could remove the reverb from everything and then start with a fresh kind of overall reverb for all your different bits and pieces, you could make much more natural sounding mixes if you've, you know, you're starting with a completely blank canvas. 
So I'm really excited by it. I've got, well, no, it does sound very interesting. It. I think, and I think, um, Rich, you've just, uh, you've, I think you've just got the uh, the show title there with the anechoic massage um, in the <laughs> chat room. I think <laughs> that's a great title for the show. Thank so, you. thank you very much. So, uh, yeah, nicely done. Um, I just think this is very exciting. You can get it now. I mean, unfortunately, it's only available for Mac by the looks of things, um, but it's on special offer. It's like 130 bucks off. I am certainly going to uh, take a look at that because it really does. Uh, I mean, like I said, even just just for video production, fantastic. You know, if we've got audio that's just somehow wrong, or I can imagine, you know, if if we've got a a, a close mic recording and we've got a safety in the camera that's all roomy, take the room off. You know, there we've got. It's like we can fix anything almost. That's that's amazing. I mean, that uh, that really is kind of quite useful, I think. And also the other, uh, to, just to add again, I mean, like for instance, I've just done a recording. Or I've just done edited the Yamaha THR, which I've gone on about um, amp, which you've got in the background. Sounds great. I mic'd up with a pair of ribbons, and it sounds fantastic. I mean, but when I too tend to mic close mic things, you know, I'm missing some of the other stuff. So I want to use a little bit of the mic that comes in on the the lav mic from the person that I'm record that I, that's doing the dialogue as well. So I could see myself just taking the reverb signal only of that and adding that to the mix if it ran on PC because all my editing's done on PC. But I could see all sorts of uses just just for that, you know, just just on those bases. But video production, it really does make sense. I mean, there's there's but but there's that it's going to be very interesting. I think it's really silly. It's houses will just go gaga over it, wouldn't they? Well, the thing that was quite exciting about this, also, I mean, because I, I tried to get a demo. I mean, honestly, I went back to the stand like five or six times, and he was always busy, all in the middle. And he very kind. I left a card, and he contacted me as soon as he could. Um, sadly, we'd left Mesa by the time that, that I was available. Uh, that he was available, but you know, he's going to do something else. So we're going to definitely do something with him, and we'll be interested to see you know in the confines of a kind of decent uh, screen recording with decent audio what what it really is capable of mm. brilliant gosh yeah i mean something like this is amazing mark brought up a really good you know a really good use for it and that's you know mashup artists and sample sampleists you know people that that make uh music from existing pieces of foley and and found sounds and and uh, and recordings this will open up a whole new world for them I mean, this is re- this is really cool. If if it, you know if it works well across a wide spectrum of audio, and uh, and for video production, this is a dream. I could see somebody, uh, I could see um, audio ease, you know, coming yeah. up with a product like this and wanting to pair them together. You know, saying first take all the the crappy reverb off of your production audio and then put altiverb on it. You know, yeah. So well, what licensing yeah. licensing the touch? Yeah, I, I'm sure yeah. that's feasible. I mean, I didn't uh, looking at that demo. I don't know whether that had to be prepared or whether that was real time or whether it'd be analysed. And then you know, I don't I don't know. All of these things are questions that I'm hoping we'll be able to answer. I mean, it'd be really cool if it was a fully real time experience. That would be really uh, impressive. But uh, I I don't know the answers to any of these things yet. Um, right. Let's see. We probably have got time for a quick blast of. Um, Ah, actually, this was something that I was interested in the the minus thirty dB speaker isolation booth because I've no, I was thinking about getting one of these, but uh, um, I'd never seen one so effective. I'm just going to play it because I think I, I was impressed, and I think you would not fail to be impressed as well. So uh, I think this is it. Okay, hi, my name is Stefan Grossman. I'm the producer of this box. It's an isolation cabinet for guitar recordings, and. It reduces the volume um, in 30 dBs. And I'll show you. Watch your ears. This is the sound. 
outside the box, and now I will lift it up. It's very loud, I think. Also, it is very loud. I, I just thought that was absolutely, totally cool. And it's got these little kind of uh, mounting points in that you can put various mics in. You can change the speakers so you could put a Greenback or a Celestian Gold or and all of that, or Vintage 30, whatever. And it just seemed, and, and I was listening later on in the video, you can hear the difference between the 57 and the uh, Audio-Technica large diaphragm. And it just, I just thought it was fantastic. And I don't know whether or not anybody, you know, because obviously as we, as big studios, purpose-built studios are becoming less of a, a an obvious um, option these days, this is the sort of thing that you could put under the stairs in your flat and it wouldn't annoy the neighbours too much. But I don't know what the characteristics of recording from sort of inside such a small box are. Perhaps, Rich, you might have, have uh, some knowledge of how it could work or whether, it, whether this sort of thing can work or whether you just prefer to mic the whole thing up. There you go. I'm, put, I, I'm putting work, you on. It's- I think it can work. It sounded like it worked. It seems like a rather mechanical solution to most people's project studio problems, given that the alternative is to use models that weigh, you know, three pounds and cost a couple of hundred bucks. So when you're weighing things on the scales of justice, you really have to believe in that amp sound to want to go through the trouble of lifting this thing, spending 750 to 800 bucks by the time you're done on all the attachments and the speakers and everything else you need to make it work and putting it under the stairs, you know, like in other words, yeah, it works great, but is it a practical product? Uh, I guess there is probably some percentage of folks who would spend that much money for something that large and heavy to address that problem. Well, I guess you, I mean, if you're in a recording studio, you can bring, or, you know, in a, where different guitars come in, you can plug that speaker in as opposed to the one that's in the combo or so people can use the amps that they know and love and just drive it. I mean, he was driving it with some kind of monster Mezaboogie triple rectifier thing, and I'm guessing, yeah. you know. but It sounded great. It did sound I mean, great. I had no quibble with the way it sounded, and as he was bringing up the different microphones, it was appropriately, you know, it was doing... Appropriately different. <laughs> yeah, it would do it. It's doing all the things you want it to do. It's just like a really large, yeah, bulky, expensive, right. and heavy solution to a problem that can also be addressed, albeit perhaps a little less romantically, with a two hundred dollar modeling device that uh, weighs nothing. Mm. So it's a choice that some people will make, and I can respect it because it does sound good. Well, I guess the thing is, I'm a sucker. For, I'm, I, I must be a bit of a sucker for the sort of fairground sideshow kind of demonstrations because it was so completely, oh, completely obvious. You just that kind of before, after, before, after it was like, whoa, that's really serious. I know. Um, has anyone got a use for this kind of thing? I mean, PJ, you're setting up a studio. I guess you probably don't because you'll just make the noise you need to make when you make when you need to make it, right? Yeah, but I do know somebody that would love this, and um, and you know, for the reasons that Rich sort of alludes to, um, he will not use any sort of modeling software or modeling box, you know, with his rig. Cause he's just that guy, you know, he's so specific about what he wants to hear and doesn't believe he can hear it through the modeling software and the modeling boxes. So something like this in his home rig, I think would be, you know, would be perfect. And so I'm definitely going to point him in this direction and say, Hey, if you're, if you're demoing things at home or, you know, making your own tunes on your computer, this might be something you want to check out. So I think there's definitely a market out there, albeit it's probably pretty small. 
Yeah. It is, well, according to the, you know, looking in the chat room, there's a few people who are kind of saying, yeah, this would be really cool. So, I mean, maybe, you know, yeah. maybe doesn't need to sell that many, but it was just the, yeah. the, the cut. What about you, Dave? You could, you could always put like a full range speaker in it and, um, and stick it, stick your synth through it, could you? Or would it be a bit waste of time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, no. I'm just I, trying to but, be inclusive no, here. No, I'm with PJ completely. I know various guitarists who just won't use anything other than old school amps and wouldn't touch any uh, modelling software. And uh, they'd probably love this, actually. And I thought the price was pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, I think it was about €400. I mean, the box itself, I mean, it looks like it's got this kind of... uh, that window tape all around. So when you put it down, it's got a really perfect fit. And the, he said he'd done a lot of work on the inside of the cabinet um, that that was sort of had a lot of extra density there. So the boxiness of it was uh, much less pronounced. Um, but, you know, as he said, you know, it is a box, so it's going to sound a bit like a box because it is one. So, you know, that's, that's just the way it goes. And then you could always add reverb or take even more reverb off it with your... Um, uh, un- yes. unreverberator if you need to as well, well I suppose. A, a lot of people mic I mean you know you do you're doing it Nick so I mean a lot of people mic a guitar by sticking the mic you know right up against the grill cloth so you're not you're not getting really any sound of the environment around the microphone anyway um, you know unless unless you are intentionally you know doing it where you're putting the amplifier in a larger space and sticking microphones a little further back this is a per, you know perfect solution for sticking a fifty-seven up against a grill. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, can I can I say something? Of course you can. I think um, guitar modelling is uh, good up until a point. So it's brilliant for like home recording. I'm not um, the best guitarist in the world, but I can play a bit, and um, I kind of get by with it. But the difference with an amp is that you've got another dimension in terms of like the way the amp responds to different velocity input. And that just doesn't happen in modeling, not in the same way. So you can make a guitar sing in the dimension of kind of volume up and down through an amp in a way that you can't do with modeling. And it's like a leverage thing. So again, it's like a, it's like a sensory and a kinesthetic thing when you bend a string it's like it's literally being amplified from like a small movement to like big movement of the speaker and then when you strap the speaker like into a 4 by 12 Marshall cabinet the fact that it's stuck in a, a an enclosed space means that the speaker does something else it gets kind of damped in that environment yeah. so there's you know you you punch a good chord out on a guitar and it's turned up loud you can see the speaker jump and then you see the damping come into effect and that has a sort of a sound to it in that it moves air. And guitar modeling doesn't move air. And if this thing can actually get the sense of air moving and get that into a recording, then I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a valid point. I mean, I would like to, on the plus side, say that um, you really should check out a Yamaha THR. Uh, I know I've been banging on about it, but everybody who hears it just goes wow and that does respond to your dynamic playing in terms of voicing as well as just you know volume it is actually very uh responsive and sort of surprisingly so and the fact that it's a sort of tiny little thing about the size of a kind of shoebox 
is even more astonishing. But uh, if you get a chance, try one out. I know they're not uh, Yamaha Guitar Department and not sponsoring the show, but I, th- I can honestly thoroughly recommend that <laughs> they try it, that, that you do try it out. The THR review will, might be able to get a chance to review it tomorrow, actually. Uh, to to publish it tomorrow, certainly Friday, perhaps if uh, they get back to me with the fact check. Uh, hey Nick, yes, have you have you had a chance to look at the Kemper profiling amp? I've not, but um, we have been offered one to come into review quite soon, so I'm going to ah. hopefully get one in. It's supposed to be very good, but that is that doesn't actually make any noise. Uh, that doesn't shift any air. It hasn't got uh, at least no. the last iteration. It's it's like a preamp, effectively. As far as I right. understand, but lots of people are really raving about it. As far as I understand, yep. But uh, yeah, yep. we hope to get it in and have it in the in our amped guitar channel. Uh, oh, incidentally, I talked to Isotope guys um, while I was uh, at Mesa, and um, um, they said, "Oh, you should really check out this Nectar plugin, which is a voiceover plugin." Mm-hmm. And and I'm uh, so this you don't you're not hearing it now if you're listening live but on the edited version you will be hearing it so I'll be interested to know what people think about it just so I'm going to try it instead of uh, I think I can't remember the plugin that I was using before mix mix uh, I forget now but I'll, I'll I'll try and mention it in the show notes but uh, so if you've been listening this week you've been listening to the sound of nectar <laughs> let's see how it sounds <laughs> um, and I also wanted to say obviously I've got the Jupiter 80 here. On a guitar sound, which is probably not appropriate. Um, let me see if I can get that. Oh, I'd have to dig the patch out, but um, and I'm going to be checking out the version two OS. But um, actually, this week is the last week. Again, we've come back from Mesa, but uh, I've got to go. Not got to, but I am going on holiday next week, um, so I won't be here for a show. But the week after, we will be. Uh, when we get back, we're going to go up to the Gadget Show in Birmingham, and hopefully there's, there's actually quite a lot of musical people up there, so should, we should come back with some more, yet more show videos. But if you haven't already seen the show videos, uh, you want to go to sonicstake.com forward slash news, and there's links there to all our uh, mess of videos and uh, various other bits and pieces. So uh, please do um, do check it out. Um, but that's kind of about it for this week because uh, I'm now going to get on my new bike and cycle home, save on the petrol. So I want to say thank you very much to all my participants. First of all, we've got Dave Spears there from g4software.com. If I, there you go. There's the, the little lower much. third. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. And oh, and now we've got Mark Tinley from likebeing.com. Uh, thanks you for joining us there as well, Mark. Thank you very much. Much enjoyed. Good. And uh, we've got Rich Hilton, who's there in, uh, I think the hailstorm has finished, um, but I think maybe the guitar storm might be about to start. <laughs> there he goes. You're listening. That's just, what, what was that again? Is, your, is it an epiphone? What was it? An epiphone? Epiphone Blues Custom 30. That's right. That's your brand new. It does sound nice. And that presumably responds very well to your input because it's got uh, valves in it and stuff. Seven tubes in this bad boy. It's wonderful. It's glorious. And I'm running it as a 15-watt Class A amp, and it sounds gorgeous like that. Excellent. Well, it does sound nice, even over Skype. So thank you very much for joining us, Rich. Um, uh, Always a pleasure to have you aboard. And now we'll go over to PJ Tracy, uh, pjtracysound.com. Thank you very much for joining us, PJ. Hope your studio is, uh, floor gets uh, sorted out and you can get in there and start working. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It's been a real pleasure and it, uh, really nice to hear that amplifier, Rich. I like. I really like the reverb. Yeah, it does sound good, doesn't yeah. it? 
Yeah, anyway, that sounds great. Uh, that is basically it for this week. So remember, no folk, ne- no show next week, but there will be a show the week after. And uh, if you've been listening, um, thank you very much. And remember, you're listening to the sound of nectar. So see what, tell me what you think of it. See if it improves our fidelity, makes us sound more radio or whatever. And also, I want to say thank you very much to the show sponsors, Yamaha, uh, and uh, do check out the O1V96i. Uh, it really is um, an action-packed, small-format digital console. So once again, thank you very much for listening. Uh, That's it. It's a wrap.